What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It's David and Isaac. This is the Sports Ethos Business Podcast. We continue digging in to the 2022 NBA Draft. We are officially in the week of the draft. We're getting super close, man. The draft happens Thursday. Keep an eye out. Sports Ethos is getting a number of guys together. We are going to do live draft coverage. Unfortunately, not unfortunately for him, it's unfortunate that he's not going to be joining us, but uh, Isaac is going to be on vacation, so he's not going to be there with us this year. Uh, that's a little disappointing, but I'm sure that he's going to be enjoying the vacation time as he has been working his butt off lately. Isaac, how's it going, man? Man, I'm doing well. But, but yeah, man, I, you know I'm, I'm going to be watching the draft, man. I'll be down in Houston uh, during that time. So I don't know if I'm going to watch it from the hotel or go to Buffalo Wild Wings and be up on the Rockets fans. If I do, I'm going to make sure I wear, wear my Grizzlies gear. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be happy. Uh, I think they have a pay all Banchero in their future possibly with that number three pick. So I'm sure they're going to be excited down there in Houston. Uh, but I'll be around, man. You know, I'm going to be on Twitter uh, doing my thing on there. So definitely going to be watching the draft, man. I'm not sure how happy my wife will be about that, but definitely definitely going to still be in on the draft uh, d- during that time, man. But I'm excited to be, get away, man. It's been it's been, been nonstop, man, for, for a couple months here, man. So I'm looking forward to this vacation. Before we get into we, – we've got six prospects for you tonight, by the way. We'll get into those in just a minute. I want to address something that the the NBA Finals is over. It ended. The Golden State Warriors won <laughs> yeah. the championship, and I've been I've been basically staying out of this whole Twitter. Man. But I, I'm going to say this, and then like you can say what you got to say, and we can leave it at that. You can call it whatever you want to call it. You trash talking is trash talking. There's no rules of trash talk. That's fine. I understand all of that. My issue with the way that this was handled is throughout the entire series with the Memphis Grizzlies, Clay Thompson didn't say a single word. It's easy to talk shit when you're a front runner. It's it's easy when you're sitting in that position that he was sitting in to run your mouth. If you're going to talk trash, talk it the entire time. That's what the Grizzlies do. Win, lose, draw, whatever happens, happens. These guys are out there talking crap the entire time. Clay Thompson is a front runner, and it was a bitch move for him to handle it the way that he handled it. I don't care what anybody says, man. That That is not, to me, if you're going to do it, if you're going to call him out, you're playing them in that series. When you take a when you take the lead in that series and you got a chance to close the series going back home, you talk it then. Or you talk it right at the end of that series. You don't wait till you, you, you beat – they beat Dallas – and then they, they beat Boston after that. And then yeah. they want to revert back to talking crap on the Grizzlies. I, I look at it, it's it's sort of a sign of respect for the Grizzlies because let's be honest, the Grizzlies were the toughest matchup that the Warriors faced. No doubt. If the Grizzlies been healthy, that would have been the only series that went to seven games because game four, a healthy John Morant, the Grizzlies win that game. Yeah. And that series goes to seven games at a minimum. Maybe the Grizzlies win, maybe they don't. But I didn't like the way he handled it. I, I'm fine with trash talking, and I understand as the Grizzlies continue to to move up, as they you know as their floor continues to rise and they become legitimate championship contenders, there's going to be people talking crap. But don't be a front runner, and that's exactly what this was. It was a front runner move, and. 
whatever. We'll see what happens next season. You know, congratulations to the Warriors and their trash fan base on the championship. Yeah, man, you must have been reading my mind because I definitely wanted to, to touch on this a little bit. I, it's crazy to me uh, because, first off, like you said, I mean, they played Dallas and played the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals since they played the Memphis Grizzlies. And they didn't say any of this during the series. Clay did say, and this was a hot mic type situation, bitch-ass Memphis in the, after game one back in the tunnel, which I don't think he thought anybody was listening to that or they had that on recording or anything. But not only did they play Grizzlies two rounds ago, this started from a tweet that happened three months, three, three almost four months ago, back in the regular season that Jaron Jackson Jr. tweeted, and you just got through winning the championship, and you're going to spend 80% of your press conference talking about a tweet that Jaron Jackson Jr. sent. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially from a team that, from the team and their fan base and their coach try to pretend like they're so above it all. Like, we, we, we're not getting involved in this. We're champions. Everybody else is peons. We're not – they're not on our level. But you win the championship and you're punching down to a team that you played two series ago and going back to a tweet that happened three months ago. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And at the championship press conference today, their, their crowd's yelling, whoop that trick. Like, I've never seen more rent-free stuff in my life. Like, you just won a championship. Why, like, are you concerned about the Grizzlies? I mean, I, I just – don't understand that you got the Draymond and, and Josh stuff going back and forth. Like, if you're so above it, why are you even responding to this stuff? Like, Draymond's on there, like, going full bore at this. Like, and you just won a championship. Like, I, I it doesn't and, make any sense to me. I, I, I want to be clear. I'm fine with Draymond talking trash because Draymond was talking trash during the series. But that, that he was the only one. Like, he, he was the only one on that team. Like, that that's fine. Let him talk trash. If you're going to do it the entire time, I'm fine with it. And I get it, man. I know that, I, like like I said in the beginning, there's no rules of trash talking, but it it's just cheap to me. Like, if that, if you're going to wait till that moment to do it, then you might as well not even do it, in my opinion. But anyway, I, I'm just I'm going to leave it at that. I got a lot more that I could say about it, but I don't want, I don't want to say it on here. Don't want to lose the clean rating of the show because uh, – <laughs> feel pretty strong about the way that, that Clay Thompson handled that and uh, look forward to uh, booing him as they come back into the forum next season. Oh, yeah, man. It's going to be exciting. I mean, you saw the back and forth about possible Christmas Day game. John was like, bring it to the end. And Draymond was like, no, nah, the champions play at home. Um, and and, and John was like, man, but what, what did he say? What is the, how, how did he say it? He, he didn't say, pull, uh, we'll pull up to your spot. I can't remember what the quote he made, what he said, but I mean, it's, so I like. I think he said, "I'm on your block" or something. On your like block, that. yeah. Oh, yeah. You got it. I'm on your said, block. Uh, <laughs> tell him to book it. I'm on your block. On your block, then. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it, man. Like I, I don't have any problems with that. I, but I just think it was weak as hell for Clay to kind of handle it like it. I mean, you did. You had a whole series of press conferences to bring that tweet up because again, that happened back nothing, in the regular dude. season, and you didn't say yeah. nothing about that the whole series. And now you go wait two series ago. Now you're the winning championship. Now you know. Nobody can really say a thing to you. Now you want to bring that back up. Just weak, man. Like, I, I agree with you. And but, again, they, man, it's – They played them twice after that. They played them two yeah. times after that. It's just – it's it's weird behavior, man. And that's – I get there's going to be varying opinions on it. And, and I'm fine. Like I said, I know – I expect as the Grizzlies continue to improve the level of trash talk for the Grizzlies, you can see it happening right now 
on Ja Moran. And, you know, people, I'm so sick of Ja Moran and the way that he's on Twitter. And that, as they're saying this on Twitter, like, get off of Twitter. If you're tired of looking <laughs> yeah. at it, just get off of Twitter, bro. Like, but, as they're, like, coming, replying on, on his tweet. Like, they're so so tired of it. But they're in the mentions, like, replying. Like, it doesn't make any sense, man. People, yeah. it's crazy. Like, and now it's, like, this narrative out there that the Grizzlies are so unlikable and all this stuff. It's crazy to me, man. Like, but you got the Warriors just won a championship talking trash, but everybody loves them. So like, but it's, it's different when the Grizzlies do like it. I don't, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just crazy. But again, man, it'll get tell on the court. I, I believe fully believe the Grizzlies day is coming, man. They're a young team and they got a long time, time to go, man, uh, to, to kind of build this. And people are already acting like it's like they've been around for hundred. This, this core is like second year. They're like, Oh, well, you haven't won anything. Give it time. <laughs> Give it time. man. I got, I, I got a feeling that the Grizzlies got to, gonna quiet a lot of critics here in the next several years yeah yep i agree man i'm i can't wait for it to happen so let's jump into these prospects it looks like number one on the list lead us off man who you got number one on the list for tonight six prospects come at you this should get our number pretty close to 60 as we have covered some guys that are not on a lot of boards um so you know we try to give you guys as many as possible this year, it was cut short because the Grizzlies run in the playoffs. Next year, if they make it to the finals, it may even be, uh, you know, quite a bit shorter. But we're, we're going to do yeah, man. Speaking of doing this. <laughs> everything we can. We're going to pump out as many prospects as we can so you guys have an idea of players that get drafted by the Grizzlies. So it looks like, uh, man, I don't know. I'm letting you go first. Who are you starting with? Yeah, man, this is one of the more polarizing, frustrating uh, prospects I've, I've watched. I mean, it's Trivion Williams, 6'9", 265-pound uh, senior power forward I produced, 7'3", wingspan, uh, 21 years old. Man, you listen, solid numbers all the way around. 12 points, uh, 7.4 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, almost a steal, 54.7% from the field, 35.7% uh, from three, but a super, super small sample size, only 5 of 14 overall. Uh, not a good free throw shooter at 59.7%. Um, but when you, when you watch him on film, man, really, really skilled uh, for, for a guy his size. I want to say that first off. Man, big-time, big-time playmaker, man. Average six assists for 40 minutes. We're talking about a guy that's 6'9", almost 270 pounds. Average six assists for 40 minutes, man. That's not something that you see a lot, man. Really reads the defense well. Uh, he hits shooters right in the pocket uh, when he's in a post. And really facilitate out of that post, man. Pass out the shooters, hit them right there where they needed uh, for for those jump shots out there. Also does a really good job of finding cutters. Um, has some flair to his game as well, man. You'll see the no look pass, the behind the back pass uh, to cutters. Um, he's a guy. That I, I think he's a guy that you'll be able to to run some offense through. Um, again, man, 6'9", 265, man. That's that's pretty unique. Uh, scored six points per game out of the post um, and shot fifty one point three percent on post ups, man. He can, can really, really score on the inside, really strong back to the basket game, um, it's, it's especially on uh, on the low block. Um, he he has this little go-to uh, little hook shot that he does uh, that I like, and he's really efficient with that. Um, he did really, really finishes well through contact. Like I said, big guy. Problem is only shoots 59.7% from the free throw line. Uh, so he gets to the line a lot, but doesn't do a job, good job of knocking them down. Uh, but he also has this drop step to the baseline and spin move to the basket uh, that he uses a lot as well. Has a lot of success to that. So, I mean, when you talk about playmaking and back to the basket, footwork, scoring on the inside, I mean, he's one of the better guys, better, I've ever, better guys I've seen in this draft that I've watched. I mean, I think he has, when it comes to the offensive, offensive 
efficiency, playmaking, scoring at the rim, I think he'd probably be a lottery pick. Like, I, I think it's some of the other things that he doesn't do well that keeps him out of there. Plus, he's a senior, and you know we talked about how a lot of times when guys are juniors and seniors, they kind of drop their draft stock a little bit. Uh, he's not a big-time athlete, uh, but but has really, really good touch around the rim, as I said. Shot 65.1% at the rim on non-post-up attempts. Uh, he uses the pump fake really well uh, to evade defenders. I mean, and you talk about back in the basket game, as I said, but he can face up um, and get to the rim, uh, handles the basketball really well for a guy's size on a face up. Uh, the, the, he'll hit you with the crossover. I mean, he does a lot of things. Um, a lot of times he'll start off with the face up, gets you into the post for the back down. Um, also has a little floater. Uh, just a lot, a lot of different things that he does, man, offensively that, that are super advanced. I mean, you can tell that he's a older prospect because his offensive game is super advanced. Uh, the negatives come on the defensive end, man. He struggles big time um, as a pick-and-roll defender. Man, when, when you see him switched on the guards, they're easily able to turn the corner, get to the basket. Uh, he just doesn't move his feet well laterally. Um, gets way too flat, flat-footed when guarding in space. Um, he takes bad angles, and you'll see him kind of lose his man for wide-open layups and dunks at the rim. Um, he also not a rim protector, not a shot blocker. Uh, doesn't offer much in, in, in the terms of rim protection either. Uh, so, I mean, when you look at him, I just wish he was a little bit better. Even if he was decent defensively, I think he'd be a lot higher on his draft boards. Because, I mean, when you look at what he does offensively, how skilled he is, how he can handle the ball, his footwork on the inside, his passing ability. Again, man, I think he would be right up there. You look at a guy like we talked about on the last podcast, uh, Jeremy Sohan, who uh, can, can do a lot of things at that size, playmaking ability, um, and some other things. He, he compares to him, except, when it comes to defense, he just doesn't – he's just not a defender. Um, and I, I don't know if it's something that you can improve upon because I just don't think he has that athleticism and the foot speed to kind of be better. Uh, it's just sometimes physically you're limited in certain ways, and I, I just don't know if he's going to be a good defender. And that's why you see him so low on the boards, man. Some box don't even have him on him. Uh, but offensively, and as far as a playmaker at that size out of the post, man, he is super, super skilled. I was impressed. It's just – on the other end, it's the complete opposite on the defensive end. Yeah, I, I think that you could argue that he was the best passer on, on his team, and and that's saying yeah. something. For a guy six nine two seven. Yeah, like you know he, he yeah he he played with uh with Jaden Ivy, and so maybe you give a slight edge to Ivy, but the fact that he's even in the conversation at his size is super super impressive. And he's got good footwork. You talk about his post moves. He got good footwork on the offensive end of the floor. But it's like when he gets the the defensive end of the floor, it's like his shoes are tied together, man. I, I don't know what's going on with him that leads him to be so efficient offensively and so good with his footwork offensively. And then he goes on the defensive end and just can't get it done. And I, for some guys, it's effort. And I don't know that that is the case. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really seem to be effort. It's just, I, I don't know. It, it's yeah. weird for a guy to be as, as skilled as he is in the talented just to be, I mean, because it's pretty bad. Like, it's, you talk about guys that not that, that don't guard me, it's bad. Like, I hate to <laughs> rag on a guy too much, man, but it's, he just doesn't offer much on, yeah, the, it's on like, the defensive end. I mean, it's, it's young Carmelo Anthony. Yeah level bad and and he doesn't while his offense is very very good his offense is not Carmelo Anthony like he he doesn't have that type of offensive firepower to be like okay well maybe he's gonna do enough offensively 
that the negatives on the defensive end are, are going to be overweighed. But a, a guy with that size and that wingspan, you think that he would be better. You know, all he's got to do is get vertical. A seven foot three inch wingspan at six ten. You know, his standing reach is going to be nine and a half foot plus. He just has to get vertical down there. And for whatever reason, he doesn't do it. I, I watched a number of, of different looks of him on the defensive end, and he just almost looks lost, man, like deer in the headlight style. I feel like we're beating him up. But, you, you know, we can't really stress enough how bad he is on the defensive end. As good as he is, he, he makes some like that the cross-court, like the skip pass to the guy yeah, in the I mean, corner. He can, like man, he, he can pass, man. He can whiz the ball through the defense, and and this is not like throwing it over the top lob. Like this no. is like it's zipping across there, hitting the guy right in the pocket. He he's ready to shoot it. It's it, it's mind boggling how you see a guy that has this much skill on the offensive end to just not even be serviceable on the defensive end. And, and I tend to agree with you. I think if if he was serviceable de- defensively. We'd be looking at him as a late first round pick, probably early second. Yeah, I, I, maybe I, I, you know. And if he was a good defender, it'd be much. That's what I said. If he was a good defender, yeah, I think he'd be. I, I think he'd be a top forty pick if he was a, a a good defender. But yeah, man, it's just just weird. Like I I saw a lot of plays on film where, and they they're not even like some of these are easy. Like he seems that he has the length and everything, and you'll see guys drive to the basket. You're like, man, he can block that shot. He just does it like I, I don't know and like you said I, I don't think it's effort because I think he plays hard it's just for some reason man he just doesn't do it on the defensive end but offensively again for a guy his size man he might be one of the best playmakers I've ever seen and I'm and that's not just talking crazy here man like some of those passes like you said man he whips them out there they're not like normal passes that you see a big man make like he's doing like I saw something like behind the back like he's posting up as back to the basket and he'll find like eyes in the back of his head, like behind the back passes that you see guys like LaBello Ball or something make. Like he makes some fantastic passes, man, for a guy 6'9", 265. That's just something that you don't usually see. But, again, man, I think what he does on the defensive end, what he doesn't do, I guess I should say, and also being a senior, I think that hurts him as well uh, because we understand how the NBA kind of views these older guys, man. They just go on the potential. Um, And when you're a junior or a senior – most of the time, unless you're just elite, it's going to hurt your draft stock. And I think that's kind of why where you see him down at the bottom of the draft. But I, I still think, man, if you getting this guy in the 50s, man, I still think you could do a lot worse. But, man, I just wish he was a little bit better on the defensive end. I was watching the the, the film, man, when I was looking on the offensive end. I was like, man, this, this guy's a lot better than I thought he was. And then I understood why his draft stock was so low when I started watching it on the defensive end. But, I mean, again, I mean, he's a – Polarizing prospect because again, man, I think he's elite at some of the stuff he does on one end, just just bad on the defensive end. Yeah, you know, like Stephen Adams is a great post, uh, like a great big man passer, and, and I would say that Travion Williams is probably better, honestly, at this point. Like, I, I know that's kind of a, um, it's tough to really truly compare guys, but offensively, I, I think that Travion is is superior to Stephen Adams, but. You know, like, like we said, there, there's just there's no defense. I think some of the passes that you see him throw, some of the stuff that you see him do, I'm not sure that Steve-O could do it. You know, I think that, you know, he's not quite – I wouldn't say that he's uh, Nikola Jokic level, 
uh, playmaker a, as a big man, but but it, it's really really good, and, and it's tough. It, it's so brutal to see a guy with that size to have that many tools on the offensive end. I, I wonder what his upside is going to be. Is that something? Do you feel like the defense is something that can be taught to him? Do you think that he gets with the right coach that you can see improvements enough on the defensive end that that you can put him on the floor in their league? And some of it, I think, may be, may be physical. Uh, like, like you said, I, I don't know. The, the foot speed laterally just might not be there. I don't think it's – it's not the worst I've seen. Like, I've seen some guys, and you say 100%, no, nah, that's just – they just flat-footed. They just don't have it. You see some of the measurables and stuff. I think he should at least be able to defend at the rim. I don't know if he'll ever be a great one-on-one defender. But he has, like you said, 7'3 wingspan. Or what do we have? 7'3 wingspan. He – has the size and the length to be able to defend in the post. Um, so I, I, I believe that's something that he should be able to improve on once he gets in the NBA and gets coached. One-on-one, like when he gets switched on the guards, I think that's probably always going to be a problem for him. But again, I think he should be a better shot blocker and rim protection than what, what he showed. And I think, I mean, he just needs better coaching, I guess, because I don't think the effort is an issue. Like a lot of guys, you just see them just not trying out there. And I, I see him out there. He just gets beat. Like, I, I see him attempting to play defense. It just doesn't work. But I think in rim protection-wise, I think there's de- definitely some upside there. I just don't know if he'll ever be a great one-on-one defender. Like, when he gets switched on the quicker guys, I think that's always probably going to be a struggle for him. Yeah. Yep, I agree, man. We'll move on from Travion. Our next guy, uh, Michael Foster, he is a 6'8". I saw a couple different measurements. 6'8", 6'9". Yeah, I had him listed at 6'9". It's a forward. He played with the G League Ignite. He has a 6'11 wingspan. And this is another guy that has superior offensive skill, but I don't know who he's going to be able to defend in the league. Because yeah. I don't know that it's quite at the level that Travion was at, but he just he's not a great defender. He's a great finisher. He gets up and down the floor very well. He's really, really good. He catches the ball. He's got good hands as a roller. Catch the ball, explode off the floor, finishes. Uh, he can rebound and run. He can handle the ball pretty well. Good passer as a roll man. He can see the floor very well. When it, you know, like if he gets the pass and defenses collapse on him, he's able to make that next pass to get to, you know, get his guys open. He makes great decisions. You rarely see him make a mistake, like a, a big turnover, like making the wrong pass. Usually when he's making a read, he's making the right read. Um, he has some catch-and-shoot upside. He shot 52% on catch-and-shoot looks. But overall, he was not good from three. And I thought I wrote it down. I didn't. But I, I think if I remember correctly, he was something like 20% from three, which is – I, well, I was going to say I got 31.3, but he only shot 16. He was 5'5 five, five of 16. So Yeah, okay. All right, yeah. that 20% may have been on, like, pull-up or something. Yeah. That I saw, but, you know, that 31% is not great, but that 52% on catch-and-shoot looks, is, you know, that that's good. That's promising. That gives you uh, at least a little bit of saying, okay, he, he's got it in him. It's there. But his shot is a little bit weird. He's got kind of that yeah. uh, over-the-head catapult over the style. Head, like a slingshot type thing. Um, so that it's, it's, it's big and it's slow. But with his size, he's able to shoot over the top of people. So I think that's something that, you know, could probably work out pretty well for him. And I know our, our guy at the All-Rookie Podcast, Will Harris, is, is pretty high on him. He likes him. I think Will has him as a first-rounder. But his lack of defense to me, I, I think, unless a guy is just 
elite already on the offensive end, I, I don't think that you're going to be first-round talent playing the level of defense that these last two guys are playing. Yeah, when I, when I looked at him, the first thing that I, that I noticed that kind of jumped out to me is, is his numbers. Uh, most of these guys, when you talk about with the G League at night, don't have the numbers that he has. He had pretty good numbers uh, for these younger guys that plays on, on G League at night. 14.8 points, 8.8 rebounds, two assists, almost a steal, um, almost two blocks a game. I mean, you don't usually see those type of numbers from these elite, elite guys. They're usually lower numbers because I think you see a lot of these guys, some of them time they don't start. They're playing kind of inconsistent minutes. Uh, but he had pretty good numbers. Uh, but you talk about some of the things he does well. I mean, 58.3% at the rim on, on none post-ups. I mean, he's electric in the open floor. Man, runs the break like Gazelle. Super explosive finisher at the rim. I um, mean, some of the things you kind of mentioned, really light on his feet. Uh, when he receives the, the, the pass, he don't usually doesn't put it on the floor, man. He does a good job of going going straight up with it for the finish. Um, I think he'll play really well off a of pick-and-roll point guard. Um, as he's a, super effective as the role man. Um, also, we talk about the Grizzlies and their floaters, man. He has this two-foot floater that he uses. Um, he's a pretty good face-up attacker as well. Uh, super deliberate. Like, when you see him get the ball and he decides that he's going to go to the basket face-up, man, he'll take you in there pretty quick. Uh, just doesn't waste any time. Um, you'll see him grab the rebound on the offensive end, take it coast-to-coast for the finish, man. He can really push the basketball up the floor, like I said. Uh, average two assists per game, so I think there's definitely – some playmaking upside there. Uh, you'll see him make some really, really good passes uh, out of the short roll um, as well as the driving kick. I mean, so offensively, just kind of like we talked about with Travion Williams, man, you see some good things. I mean, he can knock down a mid-range jumper. Uh, and, and as we talked about, man, that, that jump shot is kind of weird. It's kind of like this plane shot thing. You said he takes it behind his head. And takes kind of take it a while to get a release, but he's wide open, man. He can definitely knock down a mid-range jump shot. Um, only went 5 or 16, like I said, from three. Uh, but on those five makes, I think it, it, it showed me that he's probably capable of knocking down the uh, open shot. Man, when you saw him, his best three-point looks came from from the corner. I think that's when he looked the best, man. I think the the ones from the top of the key did did look so well. Uh, but just defensively, man, just doesn't offer you much uh, on on a weak side. Not a really good weak side defender. Doesn't rotate well. I mean, I just saw him like miss a several several assignments. Uh, you'll see guards like hit the corner and go right by him, like no resistance. I mean, he just very similar to Travion, man. Does a lot of good things on the offensive end, but when it comes to defense, just doesn't have it. He's another guy that, that has some athleticism, can move really well, and that kind of surprises you that he's not better on that end. Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the 1.9 blocks is a little bit deceiving because when you watch film on him, man, there were plenty of opportunities in the film that I watched for him to have quite a few yeah, blocks like as a help yeah. defender. Yeah. And and his timing just wasn't there. He he didn't he missed his rotations. He was out of place. He was getting blown by. There were a number of things that you know kind of exposed him. And so you know, like one point nine blocks. As we're sitting here saying that he's not a great defender, and you're like, well, he's averaging two blocks a game. Is he really that bad? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Like I, I, I think that he is probably better than Travion on the defensive end, but there's still that's still a big hole in there. Yeah, it's a big hole, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, like I said, I mean, and it's it's funny, I hadn't even really thought about it, but again, man, they're very similar in kind of some of the, the issues that they have. Um and, and again, man, he's a, a another guy that you just it, it's weird because some guys you understand why they're bad defensively, like oh, they're flat footed, they're plotters, they can't really move, they're not athletic. 
And and that's not really the case with Trevion Williams or Michael Foster. I mean, you see some of the things they do on the offensive end, the way they can move. You think, okay, well, if they just move their feet, <laughs> they, they, they can play better defense. But for some reason, man, it just doesn't translate uh, from, from one end to the other for both of these guys. And, uh, again, man, they both have a long ways to go um, on, on that end of the floor. Uh, like I said, with Travion, I think he has – I think he has some upside as far as rim protection. I think one-on-one is going to be a problem. But with, with Michael Foster, I think he should be – he has that athleticism, I think, to be better both at, at the rim and as far as one-on-one defender. But for some reason, it, it, last season with Ignite, man, it just didn't, didn't work out that way for him. You know, we talk about basketball IQ uh, a number of different times throughout this draft season. And that is something like with Michael Foster, you see him missing the assignments. You see him late on rotations and stuff like that. That's kind of the things that you're looking at when you're looking at, okay, does this person have a high basketball IQ? They're going to be in the right places on the offensive end. They're going to be where they need to be to spread the floor to help their teammates on the defensive end. They're going to know when to make the rotations. They're going to, you know, they're going to be there to be that help defender when they know they have to be the help defender. They're not going to miss those assignments. And that's something you, you, you just don't see from him. You see a number of times, if you watch any film on him at all, you're going to see a number of times of him just being either way out of position defensively or he's late on the rotation and, you know, they, they get an easy bucket. And, you know, their offensive games are different, but, you know, Travion and, and Michael Foster, but defensively a lot of the same questions. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, like I said, very similar guys that have some skill on the offensive end, but just doesn't, don't offer a lot defensively. Uh, Michael Foster, obviously a younger guy. I think was he 19. Uh, Travion Williams, an older guy. He's a four-year, four-year player um, in college, so he's a little bit older. So maybe you the reason why Michael Foster is probably rated, projected higher uh, than Travion Williams is because there's still some perceived upside there. I mean, he's a younger prospect. So we'll we'll see where they end up going. But again, man, for both guys, just a, a lot, long ways to go on, on a defensive end. And you know how the NBA, again, we talk about guys being three- and four-year players. They kind of perceive you as being a finished product. And I think NBA scouts looking at him on the defensive end probably feel like that's just going to be him. And, I mean, he, he's kind of limited in that area, and, and that's why he's projected so late, not even on some boards. Yeah, yep, 100%, man. So moving on, prospect number three, we're back to you, man. Who you rolling with next? Oh, uh, man, we'll jump into uh, a very intriguing prospect for me, uh, European prospect, Gabriel Presida, uh, 6'8". 215 pounds, man, wing out of uh, Bologna, Italy, a uh, 6'8 wingspan, so an even wingspan. Um, a, a guy that I, I like some things that I saw on film. You look at his numbers, and, and numbers in Europe are always kind of, a, you can't take them with a grain of salt, but 7.3 rebounds, close to a steal, uh, 52.2% from the field, 78.4 from the free throw line, 38.3% from three. Not sure. I couldn't find uh, the total, so I don't know, not know what sample size it is, but from film, on film, it looks like he's a Really good shooter on pretty high volume. Uh, plays super hard, man. You obviously – you like the size at 6'8", 215. I think that stands out know, to you first. His, Go ahead. His three-point his three attempts, it was on three a game. He didn't play a lot of minutes. Yeah, I want to say it was like around 15 or 16 15. minutes a game. Yeah. yeah. So he puts he puts them up. Like, like that, That's the thing about him, man, because he – like you said, I think I had that written down somewhere on here that he didn't play a lot of minutes but did average three a game. So he gets them up and is when, when he's in the game. 
Uh, but he played super hard. Um, so yeah, I got it right here. Attempted three threes per game while only playing 15 minutes. Man, no hesitation on this shot. Like, when he gets it, man, really smooth release uh, and, and puts it up, man, like textbook form on his shot. Moves really well without the basketball. Um, it, it surprised me a bit that you don't you don't usually see this from a lot of European prospects, man, but he's above the rim. Uh, yeah. I mean, he can he can get up and throw it down, man. I saw some, a windmill dunk uh, on, on a fast break. Uh, one highlight, man, he can really get off, off the deck. Doesn't have the greatest hand. But I think that's I think that's something that he'll be able to improve upon. Um, attacks closeouts really well uh, by either pulling up for the mid range jumper or getting all the way to the rim to finish. Um, I think he'll play really well uh, on a team like the Grizzlies that likes to get up and down. Uh, I think he he plays really well in, in open court. Um, and he can man he can he can pass the basketball or fill fill the lanes uh, in in open court. Uh, making out of the pick and roll isn't great. Uh, there are times when. He could try to make highlight plays. I mean, he plays the game with a flair, really, really flashy. And there are times where he'll try to try to make a flashy pass when it's an easier pass that he can make, and it can lead turnovers. Also, when he goes to the basket, uh, you, you'll see him do that as well. There are times where he tries these crazy, like, reverse layups, and it's just an easier play that could be made, and he gets in the air and sometimes gets in trouble by doing that. But, I mean, he's a fun prospect, man. I, when I watched him on tape, I was like, man, this, this kid's electric. Again, man, above the rim, that's something that you usually don't see from European prospects. Can shoot the basketball. And, I mean, good size, man. It's 6'8", 215, a big wing. Um, I think it could probably play the two or three. Uh, so, I, I like what I saw. I mean, you talk about these three. We're going to talk about another European prospect here a little bit later on. And Hugo Basson is another guy that we've talked about in a previous pro, uh, podcast. So, you compare these guys. I, I like some things about all three of them. But I think I think I possibly like the two that we're going to discuss tonight a little bit more than Basson. I have some real concerns about some things with Basson. Yeah, I, I think that uh, out of those three that you mentioned, that Presida would be number one for me. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the times, a, a lot of times when you're looking at European prospects, there's two things that, that always come up or always seem to come up with your athleticism. And, and exactly, th- those two things, athleticism, lateral quickness, and neither one of those things are an issue with Presida. No. Is he going to struggle guarding guys his first year in the NBA? Yes. There's very, very few rookies that come over in year one and that just pick up the pace. They hit the ground running. Look at Zaire Williams. Zaire Williams was – awful early like beginning year he was terrible and then as the year went on he kind of you know he picked up the speed of the game and he improved and Presida has the type of athleticism he he has the lateral quickness and the length to be a good defender in the league is he going to come over and be a lockdown defender no he's not ever going to be a guy that you're going to put on the other team's best player but he's a guy that you can have out there in crunch time, and I think that he's going to be a good enough defender that they're not going to play him off of the floor because of that. Um, I like the way he moves without the ball and the way that he can shoot, like coming off of a screen and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I think that would be a, a huge – like that, that would be like a plug-and-play type thing for the Grizzlies. That would be something – you know, you've got Bain that can move without the ball, does pretty well moving without the ball. But he, he is a guy – that maybe is not going to create that much separation with his handle right now, but he can create separation for himself coming off of those screens. And so I really like that. He needs to talk about his handle. His handle's not great. Need to see that improve. And uh, Isaac mentioned him trying to be too flashy at times. 
I wrote down as I was watching the film, he plays out of control. He, yeah. he just, you know, he makes up his mind and he's like, I'm going to get this shot off whether you like it or not. And he's going in there and he, he's trying crazy stuff. Sometimes it works out and it goes in for him. And other times you're just shaking your head about, you know, what the <laughs> heck is going on. I uh, need, needs to add a little bit of weight to be able to finish a little bit better. But outside of that, I, I like his game out of the, you know, the late second round guys that we've, uh, we've looked at and I don't know where he's going to end up going. I got a feeling that he's not going to be around at 47, Yeah, but uh, he, he would be a guy with a very, very interesting upside that I would like to see the Grizzlies take a swing on. What's up, guys? It's David. Before we go any further, I've got to take a couple moments here to tell you about our new partner at Ethos Grizzlies, Ember and Valor. Ember and Valor specializes in beard care products. Let them take your beard to the next level with their easy two-step process. You get started with the beard oil to condition your skin and prevent the dreaded beard itch. You finish it off with Ember and Valor's Beard Balm to condition and shape your beard. Go over to emberandvalor.com right now and use promo code ethosgrizz for 25% off. Let them get you the beard you've always wanted. emberandvalor.com, E-M-B-E-R-A-N-D-V-A-L-O-R.com, promo code ethosgrizzlies for 25% off. I've got to run it by you one more time. I can't allow you to miss it. 25% off at emberandvalor.com right now using our promo code ethosgrizz. That's E-T-H-O-S-G-R-I-Z-Z at emberandvalor.com for 25% off of all of their products. Ember and Valor makes all of their products using all natural ingredients. Get over there, check them out, use the promo code, let them know we sent you. You will not be disappointed. Emberandvalor.com. Look good, feel good. Yeah, man, I, I don't think he'll make it to 47. Uh, I just think he's too good, man. When you watch him on film, man, he's a guy that I think you could see possibly somebody really liked him late first. Uh, I think definitely early second at, at the floor. Um, but if he's at 47, I wouldn't have any problem but i think he's a prospect that if he's there in the early second and you can get up and get him i think you get up you go up and get him the grizzlies have in king climate have shown uh the propensity that if they like a guy man they'll go up and get him i think you look at jaw that was their draft pick but all the rest of their guys man pretty much they've gone up and gotten all those guys we talk about bain uh brandon clark uh santi aldama <laughs> xavier tillman all those guys were move-ups um in the draft to get them so i wouldn't be surprised to see that again but Pachita, I, I like what a lot what I saw. And again, man, I love the size at 6'8", 2'15". I think he probably at 6'8", could stand and put on a little bit more weight. But that, that height is, is something that you can't teach, man. Big wing. And again, I think he'll be able to, to play the two to three, two or three. I mean, any guy coming over from, from Europe, I mean, probably it's going to be an adjustment of uh, the physicality and, and on the defensive end. But I think he's a guy that could get there. I don't think the foot speed is a, a, a big issue for him. And to kind of talk to, to our point about him kind of being out of control and things like that. I think for, with with him being in the position he's in, I think holding the ball. I think being in Europe, you, you, you coming into the NBA, he's going to have kind of a a different role possibly. Uh, so some of the things that you see as far as forcing things, you might not see that in the NBA, uh, depending on what what his role is. Um, I think he might might have been in positions where he felt like he had to do a little bit more to kind of force things or was it a score facilitated and kind of gets out of control there. And that could be something that you don't see in the NBA. But again, man, I, I like him a lot. I, I think he has a, 
a lot of potential. I'm not sure what his status is as far as his contract in Europe. Is he going to come over this year? Is he going to be a guy that's going to stash? Would he come over and play in the G League? Who knows? That's kind of a new interesting dynamic with these European guys. It used to be most of the guys, if you weren't taking them high in the draft, like top 20, top 25, they were mostly always stashes that you keep over in Europe. But now there's the G League and, and, and everything like that, two-way contracts. So it's going to be interesting to see how some of these later guys that are picked in late first to on into the second round, European guys, how teams handle them. Yeah, one of the no-ceilings guys, I can't remember if it was Grubel or not, but one of them said they'd be comfortable taking him in the 15 to 20 range. They yeah, like, I saw that. They I saw like that. his tools. They like what he can do. Was it Grubel that said that? I can't remember who it was. I know it was on on one of their uh, podcasts, one of their breakdowns. It was yeah. two guys on there, and I just kind of saw it in passing. It might have been Grubel. I think Grubel was on there, so I think it might have been him. And I definitely, I mean, he's one of my guys that I that that, that I like uh, in, in draft Twitter. Uh, so I mean, he he has some good stuff. So so if he said that, man, I I believe in it because they really do a good job of breaking down, especially these European prospects. Yeah, yeah, true. Like. There are a lot of people on draft Twitter. Some, uh, some I will listen to more than others. That's just like in the media and just in general. Yeah. There, there's going to be people that you uh, you trust more than others. And uh, the, the no ceilings guys do fantastic work. So you know if they're comfortable taking them there, and, and I honestly don't see a problem with it, man. I think that he has the tools, his shooting ability alone, his ability to move without the ball. And shoot the ball coming off of screens. I think he could have a role. You know, uh, Seth Curry is a guy that moves without the ball and just you know, like he's not a uh, an elite defender. He's just a good defender, and he moves well without the ball, and he can get a shot off quick. And I think Rasita could definitely do that early on in his career, and and maybe develop into something more than that as he continues to grow. We'll move on from him. Our next prospect. This is this one's tough, man, because. The overtime elite program is something that is new, and I, I couldn't find a ton of film on him. Just to be honest, Dominic Barlow, uh, six foot ten inch forward, seven foot three inch wingspan, out of overtime elite, and I, I made some notes on the film that I was able to find. But how do you think these guys are going to translate? Like, what do you think? You know, because the overtime elite team, it's not G League. Right, so it's kind yeah. of a it's um an in between college slash high school yeah. type program, and so the level of competition, I I get in certain circumstances that that argument can be made, but there are plenty of guys that come from smaller schools that do well, and so like with him, do you feel like this overtime elite thing is is that enough? Did you see enough from the film that you could find on him? that you would be confident drafting him at 47? Man, it, it, it's tough because uh, I, I wrote down the same thing. I, I couldn't find a lot of film on him, but the, the competition level is super questionable. Like I almost feel like you kind of have to take this almost like it's high school, like a guy's coming straight out of high school. It's kind of, I guess, supposed to be on a, a little bit of higher level than that, but I saw – some of the guys that, that, that he was going up against. And I don't even know who most of these guys are. And they didn't, didn't look like they were like super high level guys either. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's definitely something new. Uh, but I think when you, when you're evaluating these guys, it's hard to kind of 
say anything concrete about these guys because, again, I, I just don't believe necessarily in, in the competition level. It doesn't mean that they, they can't be good players or come in the NBA. I mean, we've had some of the greatest players ever to come out of high school. I mean, Kobe Bryant, I mean, guys come out of high school, Kevin Garnett, uh, just a lot of guys that come out of high school and, and been played really well. So that doesn't mean that he's not any good. It's just kind of LeBron James. To, I'm going to say it because yeah. you didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just, it's just kind of hard to kind of evaluate these guys because you just don't know. I mean, this is a new program, kind of a new system that these guys are coming out of. And that's interesting. That's why I think if I was a prospect, I think I would go to G League route probably before I went to Overtown Elite because it's just so hard to evaluate. And I think even if you play really well, you're probably coming out of Overtown Elite, you're probably not going to be a high draft pick. So uh, maybe interesting, man, but I'll let you go ahead and kind of run through what, what you had on it. Yeah, man, on the film that I was able to find on him, I wrote down rebounding, playmaking for his size. I think that he moves his feet very well, so I think yeah. that he's going to be a decent defender. Uh, he's he's athletic. I, I wouldn't – I don't know if I would use the term explosive, but he's able to get up and down the floor. He's able, He can play above the rim, um, and, and he uses that length well on defense. That seven-foot-three-inch wingspan does a great job. Again, you know – it's tough to really watch this film and say, okay, what what is this guy that's attacking him? Is this a guy that is going to play at the next level? Is he yeah. going to leave overtime elite and go to college? And I don't know. I don't even know the rules with that. If they go into this overtime elite program, does that make them ineligible for NCAA? Man, I God, I forgot. Like it's so much stuff going on now with these little programs. Now, <laughs> man, I've kind of forgot like what the deal is with that i i think so i, I don't think you i think once well i, I want to say i want to say you can i want to say you can go to overtime elite and then go to college man it's crazy that i should know that um and thinking on the spot now like i've kind of forgotten how all this stuff works as again man it's so much new stuff in, in this new world of of amateur athletics and it, it's it's crazy but i, I want to yeah. say you can uh that, that you can go to overtime elite and then go to go to college but i could be wrong on that don't quote me on that yeah I'm, i've i know about the program but i'm not really dug into it enough to see that that's something moving forward i'm gonna have to read a little bit more and find out about that because i just i, I was unsure if that was a possibility or if once you committed to this that you were out on the ncaa you know if it gives them another option if it gives these guys another option and does it turn out is it going to be a viable option because how long is this program? This program's fairly new. It hadn't been running very long. So we don't know what these guys are going to look like at the NBA level coming out of there. But, you know, they've got a couple guys that are in that program. Uh, Dominic Barlow and uh, John Montero are two yeah. guys coming out of that program that are likely to get drafted this year. Um, Barlow, I, I don't think – like he's got a super slow release. I don't think he's going to be a great shooter. He's got to do some work there. And – um I am his form is a little bit weird. He's a right-handed guy that shoots it kind of across the left side of his face. And then we we've had a number of guys this this draft season that we've looked at that have kind of had this same form. And again, it, it's not, you know, Lonzo Ball done this when he first came in the league. It's not as prominent as, as what Lonzo was, but it is something that you would think that shooting coaches at the next level are going to be working on to try and get him a little bit more to the right side of his face instead of shooting across the left side of his face. 
Yeah, and, and when we think about it a little bit more here, I, I, I think that you can't because they get paid. You can get paid pretty good, and I don't think they do have NIL, but usually when anytime you can get paid with anything, it kind of takes away your, your your amateur status. So I don't think I don't think you can now that I'm thinking about it because they, they get paid pretty decently, uh, some of the guys that, that go here. Uh, but as you said, man, I couldn't find a lot of, lot of film on them either. But you, you talk about his, his shooting. When he shoots the three from the corner, it, it looks really good. Like he squares up to the whim really well. Um, and he can knock down the three from the corner, but when he shoots anywhere else, it, it's not great. I, I know exactly what you mean. Kind of that, that same form that you see from um from 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 Lonzo, uh, where he kind of drops his his uh arm when when after he lets the ball go. It's kind of a weird kind of thing. But for some reason he doesn't really do it when he shoots from the corner. When he shoots corner threes, looks pretty good. Um shows some self-creation potential. Uh but he kind of uses the Jab step and crossover um, for 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 a step back. Um, also uses to get to the mid range pull up as well. Um, he can take fours and fives off off, off the bounce um, and finish at the rim. He has, has really good body control when he gets there. You'll see some some pretty acrobatic finishes for a big man. Um, get, he can get to his left hand off the dribble, but he's definitely much more right hand dominant at the rim. Uh, doesn't seem to to do well with physicality. Uh, he when he goes to the rim and if a guy really gets physical with him, you'll see him kind of shy away from contact um, and doesn't go up strong with him. You'll see him miss a lot of shots at the rim like that. Um, he, he does attack closeouts really well. Um, also drives the kicks to open shooters and cutters off those closeouts. So, again, man, I think there is some playmaking potential there. Uh, shows some ability to to turn defense into offense. He'll get in the passing lane, get out, get the steal, go down and finish on the other end. Um, you talked about him being right-handed dominant. Uh, He's he shown some pretty good – he shows some pretty good post footwork, uh, backing guys down and, and getting to his right hand in the paint. Um, what else do I have down on here for him? Uh, great kicking out the open shooters, as I said, off the dribble. Uh, defensively, he does a, he does a pretty good job of, of staying um, vertical and defending without fouling in the paint. Uh, seems to have a pretty good high defensive IQ. Uh, gets to his spots really well. Uh, kind of anticipates the defense and where he needs to be for for poking away steals and jumping in the passing lane. But again, man, it's just so hard to to kind of evaluate him because you just don't know about the competition though. I mean, you just don't know because it's you think about the G League and I think it's not on the definitely not on that level. Um, I think it's lower than that. It, I kind of look at it just like high school level. And I think it's kind of the same way we kind of evaluate Shane Sharp and you just say you don't don't really know. Uh, because again, I don't think these are high level guys, especially the majority of them, I think there are some really good guys in the program. Talk about Barlow and, and, and Gene Montero, John Montero are, are two guys. that are, Those are probably the most high-level guys in the program. You just don't think they're going against that high-level competition. So, again, that doesn't mean them going up in competition means they can't play at that level. You just haven't seen it. So it's kind of hard to evaluate. I would say this about, about Barlow. I think that he does have elite talent. I, I think that, he, you know, like he, he's definitely a guy that you could have, like he, he could have went to a big D one program and yeah. been effective there. So you know w- when you're watching the film on him and you're you're trying to break it down and that's like Shaden Sharp. You you watch the film and you look at the tools and the tools are there. You just have to worry about the translation. How how's it going to be against the higher level of competition? And, and you don't know you that this would be a guy where you're kind of rolling the dice. Do you think that? What you saw at overtime elite is enough that he is going to be able to make that jump. 
and maybe he's a guy that you can you know plug into your your G League team and let him develop down there for a year and then bring him up and see what he can do. Yeah, uh, if I was a, a, a D1 coach and I was evaluating him like he was a senior in high school, I was like, yeah, man, let's get this kid a scholarship, man. Let's sign him up, NIL, whatever we need to do to get this kid. But again, like you said, you just don't know how it, it will translate to the NBA level. But I think you see some things with him that he looks like a, a young player with a lot of potential. Uh, so, I mean, I, I definitely don't write him off because he played in overtime elite. But, again, man, you, you're rolling the dice. I mean, he could be a big payoff. He could end up looking like a guy that should have gone in the lottery. I mean, you just don't know. Um, so it, it's a big risk. And I think that's kind of why you see where you see him going where he's going. But he's moved up a little bit on boards. He was. You saw mostly down in the, in the 50s. I think he's now some places bottom of the first round or early second round. So he's moved up a little bit. So I think some of the scouts are kind of seeing some of the same things we're seeing. See some good things on film. I just think that competition level kind of holds him down because he. you see some things with him that probably if he was doing those things in college or in the G League, he, he would probably go much higher. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. We'll move on from him. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you're up next. I started with uh, with Barlow. So who you got next, man? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, another uh, Italian prospect, uh, Matteo Spagnolo, uh, 6'6", 196 pounds, uh, 6'8", wingspan, 19 years old, played for Cremona um, in Italy, combo guard, uh, played in Italy. That's Italy's top league, uh, one thing that I did want to say. Uh, so he's playing against the best competition that they have in Italy. That's a pretty – Pretty respected league. Uh, average 12.2 points, uh, 3.5 rebounds, 2.6 assists, almost a steal, uh, 44% from the field overall, 86.1 from the free throw line, 44.1 uh, uh, three-point percentage. Again, another guy where it's kind of hard to find totals on these European guys, so I don't know what sample size it is, but 44.1% from three, man, that's a, a big number. Uh, but the first thing that you notice when you watch him on film, man, super flashy, man, plays the game with a flair, really fun, really good handle. Uh, uses his creativity to get to his spots. Uh, has a nice pull-up game in a mid-range. Uh, he's one of those guys that that's always attacking. Like you, if you're guarding him, man, you, he's gonna be you're gonna be in for a tough night because he's always moving, always probing with the dribble, just always doing something uh, that that you're gonna have to guard him. Uh, but uh, really good body control, man. You'll see him drive to the basket and, and, and kind of whatever he needs to do to kind of evade the defense, man. He can he gets it done, man. Some of these reverse layups. Some, Crazy finishes at the rim, man. He's able to do uh, with that body control. Um, as, as a pick and roll ball handler, he likes to get downhill and get in the paint um, and finish at the rim. And he's also he can he can get you in there and then stop and pop. He pulls stops on a dime, man. Can pull up for that jump shot in the mid range. Uh, big time playmaker as well. Um, as he uses his dribble and, and threat as a shooter and drives drives to suck in the defense and he's able to make passes off of that as well. I um, mean, yeah, I, I like a lot of things that I, I saw from him offensively. I mean, he can handle the basketball really well. Um, I think he played really well on a team uh, like the Grizzlies that likes to get up and down because he does a good job of playmaking in the, in the fast break. I mean, he can facilitate, he can run the fast break, he can also feel the lane on the fast break as a scorer himself. Uh, some of the things that I think he needs to do better, uh, he can really shoot the basketball, uh, but he he does it be much better on the move. I mean, he struggles a bit on catch and shoots. I, I can't remember, I thought I wrote the number down and write it down, but he really struggled like when on catch and shoots. Uh, at times, again, the same thing what we said about um, so the Presida. Uh, he, a lot of the times, again, he's flashy. Um, and if you're 
been an NBA fan for a while, former Memphis Grizzly, Jason Williams. He reminds me of him a lot. Um, he'll a lot of times tries to make highlight passes, like passes that are unnecessary. He'll turn the basketball over. Also, sometimes goes to the rim and tries to do crazy stuff. He'll turn the basketball over. Uh, you'll see that happen a lot with him. Um, and that's, those are some of the things that I think he needs to improve on. Of course, defense uh, is another thing. I mean, most European prospects are not going to be big-time defenders, and I think that's kind of the same thing with him. I mean, he's kind of slight in frame at 6'6", uh, around 200 pounds, so I think he needs to get a bit stronger, and I think that'll help him on the defensive end. But offensively, man, I mean, as far as facilitating, handling the basketball, getting up and down the floor, and shooting the basketball, man, I think he does a lot of good things. I, I like it. Again, I think of these three guys, you talk about uh, Presida, uh, Hugo Basson, and, and, and Spagnolo. I think Spagnolo will probably be second of the three for me uh, of these three prospects, man. But I like some of the things that I saw on film. But of course, I think the defensive end is going to be the question. But offensively, man, he does some, some really nice nice things and can, can really shoot the basketball. Again, 44.1% for three, man. I wish I had a, a number on that to see what sample size it is, but that's, that's a that's a big number. Yeah, it looks like 2.7 attempts per game, but I, I don't have the totals. I can't find totals. So, you know, it's – I feel like I, I get so sick of talking about defense with these European prospects yeah. because it, it's almost like, okay, we're talking about European prospect. We, you, you, can, you, can just, you can just <laughs> assume that that's going to be a problem. But I, I think that my biggest concern for him is kind of – where, where does he play, right? Because I don't think that he he's not a true point guard, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think that he'd be a great secondary ball handler. Um, you know, I think a lot of it depends on what personnel you're going to have on the floor with him, right? But I, I love his ability to score off the bounce. I think that he is a good passer. I, there are a lot of things in his game that say point guard, but he seems more of kind of like a score first guard yeah. more than anything. And sometimes he will use that watching film. Sometimes you'll see him use that to his advantage because teams know that he is a scoring guard. When they collapse on him, he'll make the right pass. Right pass. He has yeah. good vision. He can handle the ball very well. I like his ability to rebound at his size. That That's something, you know, I, I think he, um, where's it at? About four games. Yeah, yeah, four, four rebounds a game out of the guard spot. You know, that that's a respectable number, man. So that this is another young guy. Well, on draft day, he's going to be just under 20, 19, 19 and a half. You know, so he was uh, January of 03, so 19 and almost six months on draft day. He's another guy that, uh, you know, do you draft him? Does he come over? Is he drafting stash? Where's he going to fall? I'm not real sure how, how that's going to happen um, with him. But, yeah, like it, I, there have been very few guys in this draft where I'm just like, mm, yeah, I'll pass. Even late, even late in the draft, I'll pass just because I think there's so many other people that are out there that are available that, you know, you know, Alondis Williams is the next guy that we're going to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, if you're looking at it, you know, I think there's a good argument to be made between these two guys. I think that Alondis is a little bit older than, than Spagnuolo, but th their games as far as being that, you know, score first kind of option, I think it's pretty similar, honestly. Yeah, they're, they're definitely similar prospects. And I, it, it might just be recency bias, but I, I just feel like, to me, I think more than last year, I think I, I, I feel like 
there are guys all the way to the bottom of this draft, even some guys that are possibly going undrafted. Like we talk about a guy like Kevin Brown that we both really like out of Murray State. I just think there are a lot of guys that could not only be role players, but plus role players that are going really late in this draft. I just think there's a lot of depth in this draft. I mean, you have the guys at the top, but I mean, there's a lot of talent even below that. I mean, you can, I mean, going on and on, like even into the fifties again, man, there are guys that I really like in this draft. And there's so many guys, like there's not a lot of guys that I would say at 47, like there's no way I'm taking that guy. Uh, but we're going to talk about Lundis Williams here in a minute. There's a lot of things that you see on film that you like about him as well. I think he's a guy that, again, I think being a senior, I think that hurts his stock some. He does have some holes in his game, but I definitely think him being a senior is one of the reasons why he's projected low. I think Tankathon has him as the last pick in the draft uh, in their latest mock. And, again, I think you compare him to some other guys that you watch, you kind of scratch your head like, okay, he might have some holes in his game. But why is he the last pick in the draft? Like I think he's better than that. Yeah, I agree, man. He he transferred from well, Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma to Wake Forest. Yeah, it's the Wake Forest. And then he was cooking this year. Like you, you saw a massive improvement from him when he made that transfer. I you know I think that he is a great passer. He finishes through contact very well. He is a guy I more of a score first type player, but he's not a selfish player. Like he's willing to make the right pass in order to get his teammates involved. I like the fact that he's a great live dribble passer. We, we've talked about that with a couple other guys throughout this draft process and being able to make that pass off the live dribble instead of, you know, picking it up or whatever that split second can make the difference between the pass getting through and it not and he's one of the better ones in the strats. He's able to do it with either hand. I'd almost venture to say that he may be one of the best passers in this draft, honestly, and that's that's saying something. You know, he he has holes in his game. That's why he's toward the bottom of the draft. The fact that he's going to be 23 years old on draft day, you know, why did you not see any type of, you know, spark from him before his senior year? There's questions that are going to be out there about him. But I think that he's a guy that is going to be an extreme value for a team somewhere late in this draft. Um, you know, he, he can be uh, a secondary ball handler. He can be a primary ball handler. He yeah. finished in the half court. He finished at the rim 66%. That's really good for a guy that's six foot five. He's really athletic. Again, he plays well through contact. He's a switchable offender. He can guard twos or threes. Um, faster guards, I think, are going to give him a little bit of trouble, but he can hold his own. Um, he, he's not super quick laterally, but, uh, again, you know, like twos and threes, he's going to be fine against. Um, worried about his catch-and-shoot ability. He only shot 28.6% on catch-and-shoot looks, um, and his shot changes based on if he is rushed or not. You can, like, the, the arc on his shot changes – if he's rushed, you'll see a lot of line drives coming out of him. So he's got to find some consistency in that release to be able to see that percentage go up. And you look at, you know, 28% from three on four attempts, and then he was sub-70% from the free throw line. So you kind of worry about, you know, what, what that's going to look like at the next level. But I think that there's a good foundation there that you can build off of. Yeah, man, I, I like him. I, I saw a lot of good things on on tape uh, when watching him. I think he's probably better served as a secondary ball handler, but I think he could definitely 
be a primary ball handler if that's what you need him to be. Um, and I think if he is a primary ball handler at 6'5", 209, man, he's going to bring you good size uh, against point guards. Uh, but super, super high basketball IQ. I mean, you, you talk about some of those passes, some of the reads that he makes uh, when he makes those passes. I mean, he threads the needle, uh, just hits guys right and, and, and passes guys open. Um, I think that's a talent that does get talked about a lot. I mean, they really got elite passers. They can they can pass the pass guys open and, and put the ball in places where they're not even there yet, kind of like a, a quarterback uh, in football where they can throw guys open to a certain spot and get them there uh, before the defense can even react to it. And I think he does that. Uh, really well. Another thing that I saw in film that I really like, he always keeps his eyes up. I, mean, I really like to see that with guys. Tati Washington is another guy that does that as well, man. He's always probing, always watching, always reading the defense, and that's why he's always ready to make the pass like immediately. Does, doesn't take him time to kind of read that. He's already on it kind of and anticipates it before it happens. Um, he can he can really finish well as you talk about the rim, 66.3 on um, half-court attempts at the rim. Um, he's super athletic too, man. I mean, can get can get up, has some bounce, can finish. Uh, and another thing that he can do do is with that size at six five, uh, two oh nine. If, if he gets against smaller guards, man, he can post them up, take them in the post, finish that way. Sixty two point five percent on post ups. Um, so he really takes advantage of, of his size well when he's going to get smaller guys. Finishing through contact, he finishes through contact. You like to see that free throw number higher. They only shoot sixty nine percent from the line, but he does a good job of getting there. Uh, I mean, he, you will see him when he drives to the basket. I mean, he actually seeks out contact. He's a guy that, that likes contact. Uh, you don't usually see that from a lot of guards, but he'll, he's not afraid to go in there and mix it up. Uh, so he uses this, this spin move uh, that he does really well when, effectively when he drives. Um, he also gets to the rim a lot on backdoor cuts. I mean, you'll see that a lot. Like a lot of his scores at the rim off of backdoor cuts. I think switchable defense, defensively, um, as you said, I think best serve guard two twos and threes i think he will be able to guard some ones uh but i mean a, a lot to like i mean he's really physical on the defensive end of the floor um he does it without fouling uses link well to contest shots at the rim recovers really well when he does get beat um i think the improvements like you said he shoots a decent amount of threes uh so it's not like it's a small sample size but he does need to be more consistent uh there are times where he doesn't get a lot of lift on his shot you'll see him it depends. Like, and you talked about it, his form will change, and there are times where he shoots it really low. I um, mean, in NBA, man, you going in the NBA, he's gonna get that shot blocked if he doesn't get any more arc on it. And there are times where you see that when he gets closed out on. Um, also, shoots better on the move than he does catch and shoot. Um, I can't remember. I think you might have mentioned the number. Catch and shoot number is not good. But outside of that, man, I think he does some things really well, man. And again, you get if you get this guy late forties into the fifties, I think you're doing really you're doing really well. I think they're Again, a lot of talent all the way to the bottom of this draft, but I think he's another guy that could be a steal at that point in this draft. Yeah, uh, Rafael Barlow of NBA Draft Junkies, he released uh, five kind of quote-unquote sleepers. I, I don't know if I like that term because <laughs> sleepers are guys that, that people don't really know about, and a lot of times when you mention them as sleepers, they start to climb and that they're not sleepers anymore. But Williams was a guy that he mentioned. He was one of his five guys that are projected to go late in the draft that could outperform um, wh wh where he's drafted. And, and he mentioned, you know, uh, Jalen Brunson was a guy that, that was able to kind of get to his spots and knock down his shots. And he wasn't – he's like, I'm, I'm not saying that Williams is 
going to be at that level, but that that's something, you know, you always find almost every year you find a guy that goes late in the draft that comes in and he produces last year was Herb Jones for the Pelicans. You know, Herb was a defensive player, SEC defensive player of the year. And then he goes to new Orleans, he works his butt off and he earns playing time because of his ability to defend. And so, you know, it's, there's going to be somebody, it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being Williams just because of his ability to score and his decision-making. He, he's a guy we talked about a couple of these other guys playing out of control and Williams doesn't seem to do that. He seems to be pretty composed and generally makes pretty good decisions whenever it comes down to it. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're thinking about kind of guys where you talk about, you kind of in win Malmo, like you, you talk about a guy like Dalen Terry, you're thinking about backup point guard. He might not be a guy that, that you could plug in there and, and depend on me like Andrew Demhard is another, a guy who, I feel like you could probably plug in next year. It might be okay at backup point guard if you lose size. I think Alundis Williams might be a guy that could be a ball handler off the bench that that could help you immediately. Because I don't I don't know if he's a guy that's gonna change a lot. I think what he brings to the table, like you said, he's an older guy. What is he gonna be? 22, 23 years old. He's an older guy, and I think he's ready to play now. I think his shortcomings are probably gonna be his shortcomings, and what he does really well is gonna be things that he does really well uh, immediately. So. I mean, again, man, if you look at it at 47, man, and, and they don't take a backup point guard or anything higher in the draft or don't do anything with that, I wouldn't be upset at all if they take Alonis Williams. I think, again, I think he's a steal at that point. I think him being older has, has, has a lot to do with why he's projected so low. Like, he last week of the draft on Tankathon's mock, man, I think that's crazy uh, with, with some of the things wise, that he does well. Yeah, yeah. He, he's significantly better talent-wise than last pick of the draft. No doubt about that. Again, I think he'd be a, a steal there because I was kind of surprised. Like I've I've watched him a little bit. I've seen some 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 Wake Forest games. I've watched him a little bit, but I had really like keyed in on watching him. Man, I was surprised because he he was a lot better than I expected to see on film. Yeah, well, that wraps it up. He's our last one for tonight. With you going on vacation, this is going to end the combo of David and Isaac draft coverage. I'm going to try to get a couple guests on Tuesday and Wednesday here to finish rounding it out. Um, I was going to apologize, but man, I don't think we really have anything to apologize for. We knocked out quite a bit in the time that we had. Would love to, uh, you know, get, get more guests on here and talk to them quite a bit more. I know last year we had a number of guests this year. Mikey V and Will has, has kind of been, but we have three this year and last year, I think we had six or seven yeah. guys on. Yeah. So, uh, our, our guest number is down, but the number of prospects, we still turn out a pretty good number. Um, again, I'll be back. I know I, I mentioned something to Will about having him back on with Isaac being gone on vacation. So that may be something we get out Wednesday, the day before the draft. And, heck, we may have some trades or something to talk about on that day because you never know. We're, we're getting scary close to this draft. Can't wait for it. Uh, Isaac, man, do you have anything on any of these guys that we've talked about that you want to hit back on before we go? Oh man, but, but you to talk about kind of some of the trade rumors. There is some some smoke out there for the Grizzlies, and you never know because the Grizzlies are super buttoned up when it comes to this type of stuff. This front office doesn't leak anything, so you kind of take it with a grain, grain of salt. But Mark Stein, um, on on his like his podcast, had some some comments on the Grizzlies, and there's some thoughts that they could be, or he flat out said that they're one of the teams that have kind of reached out to the Sacramento Kings about their fourth pick. 
I'm kind of thinking that this that maybe th- that was probably something that they really plan to do if they had got that Lakers pick. Like they they probably plan on okay, we're going to try to get up higher in the lottery. And I think now maybe they still want to do that, but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be tough because I think they're going to be teams in a lower lottery that can offer a lower lottery pick, and that's something that the Grizzlies can't offer. Uh, the Grizzlies can offer more in, in way of veteran talent, but a lot of times in these type of deals, lottery picks and, and current lottery picks, one for the year that you're trying to trade in, will weigh more than a veteran player. But who knows, man? Sacramento has kind of been all over the place and kind of they're thinking maybe they would prefer to have a veteran like Dylan Brooks or, or DeAnthony Melton or Brandon Clark. So you just never know. Um, but that's kind of a rumor out there. There's also a rumor that the Grizzlies – would be willing to package DeAnthony Melton and possibly whip 22 to get up in the team. Um, I think that's a lot more likely uh, because, again, I just think it's tough. I don't, I don't know if the Grizzlies have the ammo to get up to four, but it'd be nice. I mean, we've talked a lot about the, the kind of thought is about it would be Jaden Ivey if they were trading up there. And some kind of thought that there would be a small backcourt, and I agree, but I personally think Ivey is the type of talent that, that he's so good that you just find out a way to make it work. Like, if you can get Jaden Ivey in a way that it doesn't, kill you that a way that makes sense you go out and get Jay Nob. yeah I, I agree with that I I do not agree with uh 22 and Melton to move up in the teens unless there there are maybe two guys that, that I would do that for and I wouldn't make that trade unless it was on draft night and that team was sitting on the clock and those one of those two guys is available and um, Usman Zhang being one of those guys is kind of projected in the teens. And then I said, I said a couple, but I don't know that there's a couple. Um, Jalen Duran, there is Jalen Duran and Usman Zhang would be the two guys that I would be willing to package DeAnthony Melton with 22 in order to move up. And, and I'm not in love with DeAnthony Melton, but outside of those two guys, what, what, what are you looking to get? I mean, Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams would be yeah. my guy. You know it. That would yeah, be my guy. I, and, and I forgot and to mention you, him. I was going to say, of course, do your name. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, I, I didn't didn't know we were going to talk about this, so I didn't plan out and write down. But Jalen, <laughs> yeah, I'd be fine with the move up to get Jalen Williams. But outside of those three guys, like say you're trading up and you get um, Ochai or Ochi Agbaji. Yeah. It, is, are we sure that that's an upgrade from DeAnthony Melton? And, and I can't say like – I think offensively you may see a little more consistency out of him, but I don't know that that's an upgrade from DeAnthony Melton. And, you know, who, who could you have gotten at 22 and you yeah, still have Melton on your that. team? Yeah. And, and so that's where I'm at. Like if you trade Melton to move up in the draft, to me it's got to be for a guy that you're confident has a higher ceiling. And, like, I'm not doing it for Malachi Branham. I, I don't – I'm not a – No, I wouldn't either. Him. Like if, if – if, uh, Jeremy Sohan falls like I'm good with that. That I see places where Johnny Davis is on the board in the teens. I think I'm comfortable with Johnny Davis. You know, may, maybe there's four or five guys, but like Tari Easton, I'm not doing it. EJ, like no. I'm not doing it. Ty no. Ty, I love Ty Ty Washington. I don't think that he's going to be in on the board that late. But I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'm not moving up that far to go and get Marjan Bochamp. I'm. I'm just not. There are. I will tell you the guys that I see on the board, Jalen Duran, Johnny Davis, Usman Zhang, Jalen Williams. That's four. Yeah. And, and yeah. That, that's really it, man. Because, yeah, I know that, that DeAnthony Melton at times has been unplayable in the playoffs. 
And so you worry about, is that going to be a reoccurring thing? And maybe it is. And it you go into this year and you see another, you know, flop in the playoffs, maybe that decreases his value and you can't move him. But I really doubt it. I think a lot of teams like DeAnthony Melton and on the contract that he's on, you're not going to have any problems moving him. So to me, unless it's a, a definite ceiling upgrade type move, I, I don't know that I'm pulling that trigger. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And I'm really down on DeAnthony Melton. Like I don't put a really high value on him right now, but I think like you talk about a guy like Abaji, you think about some of the guys that could be there at 22, would you rather have Akbaji or would you rather have Jaden Hardy and DeAnthony Melton on your team? And, and I'm taking I'm taking the latter easily uh, with that. I mean, I like Akbaji, but I'm not moving up to get him because I, I don't know. And Malachi Branham is a guy that a lot of people love. I, I had a lot of people telling me today that that's like their ideal target for the Grizzlies, and I'm not I'm not moving up to get Branham. Like, I, I just think not a chance, his, bro. his game is too mid-range oriented. Like, he, he can shoot the basketball, but he, I, I don't think his ceiling is high enough for you to to move up and get him. Like, Jalen Williams is my guy. Like, I'm praying that he's there at, at 22. I don't think he will be because uh, I think there's too many smart GMs out there to let him fall that way. I don't even understand why he's not a top-10 pick. To me, I just, he just does everything well. Like, I, I'm talking to people about him all day, man. I just love him as a prospect, man. If they can go up and get him, I would definitely go up and get him. Jing is a guy who super off the charts upside. I would definitely take that. We, we both love Jalen Duran. Covering him at Memphis, man. I love him on his team. Um, and, and who else did we say? Uh, Johnny Davis. Uh, Johnny Davis, yeah. If Johnny Davis falls. Somebody, like, you're talking about guys that have followed Jeremy Sohan, guys that are expected to be in the top 10, top 12 or so. They kind of fall right there to 15. Because I, I put out a, a deal. I kind of put that deal out. It was uh, Melton in 22 for uh, to Charlotte for 15. Because uh, I think Charlotte has, Charlotte has two picks there. So they might be willing to move off one of those picks. So that's kind of the team that I think you you target if you're trying to get in that range. So who knows? But I mean, those are probably the only guys I agree with you that are even realistic to be in that spot that I would probably move up for. Yeah. It's I, I'm not so married to Melton that I have an issue with him trading him. Like I, that, that's not where I'm at, but if you're not trading him for an upgrade, like if you're trading up to get Ochai or you're trading up and you're taking Tari Eason or EJ Lydell, I'm not convinced that their ceiling is going to be any higher than the players that you could have got at 22. No. Like Blake, Blake Wesley, that I see Blake Wesley mocked to the Grizzlies. I, I would rather have DeAnthony Melton and Blake Wesley on the roster than, than get rid of DeAnthony Melton to move up to get a, um, Eason or Lydell yeah. or one of those guys. And that's, that's just kind of – you know, it's not our call at the end of the day. You know, I trust Klein and whatever he decides to do, if he trades up and, and you know, knowing my luck, he's going to trade up and take Coloco and, and you guys are going to be <laughs> laughing in my face. But, you know, it's fine. If he gets drafted by the Grizzlies, I'm going to support him. I'm not going to like the pick, but I'm going to support him because he's a Grizzly. So we, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll go ahead and wrap it up. I say that. Isaac, you got anything else before we go, man? Oh, man. Um, those are Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, man, for our draft coverage. As David said, we're going to try to pump out a couple more before the draft. Uh, unfortunately, I will be out of town. I won't be able to be a part of that, but I know we're going to do a good job. All our guests do a fantastic job, man. So so keep it locked right here, man, to Eat Those Grizzlies. Well, you can get the show on Twitter at Eat Those Grizzlies. I am at David W 2111 Our girl, Candace. 
knocking out the Sports Ethos Seahawks coverage. Just released a new episode today. She's at Candace H901. Isaac is going to let you know where you can find him and get us out of here. Yeah, man, you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore rival. I underscore rival. That's always go up to head to those bridges. Give us a like and a follow. We'll, we appreciate that. And until next time, we go.